Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Head Games Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb, and here with me, as always, is my beloved co-host, Mr. Jonathan Carter. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing this week? Hello. Hopefully not too burned out to do this episode. Oh, nice reference. Way to, way to be meta about it. <laughs> yeah. As, as Jonathan has intimated, we are going to be talking about burnout on this week's episode. Just a couple of things I want to get to before we dive right into our topic. We launched our Patreon page this week, and it was met with a resounding response. So many of you have hopped on board already to support our podcast, and I am speaking for both myself and Jonathan when I say we are incredibly grateful and humbled that you've chosen to financially support us in our goal of making you a better competitor every week. It really means the world to us. And we're working hard on that Patreon page to get some cool stuff coming your way. We have been talking recently, and I think we're going to do some vlogs, right, Jonathan? Just some brief uploads discussing what's on our mind in relation to the cast at any given time. Yeah, I find like uh, a bunch of times after we do this cast, I think of something, oh, like, well, I wish I said that, uh, and it's too late because <laughs> it's already being edited. So yeah, just throughout the weeks as Brian and I think of stuff that's maybe relevant to that week or just stuff we think about in the, in general, like we'll pop a quick video up there. Yeah, I have a neat little head games related story I've been saving for a little while. I think I'm going to throw it up as a little vlog over on the Patreon page. So you'll have to look at my ugly mug, but you'll get some more <laughs> insight as to what's going on in our heads, you know, how we're applying lessons learned in making that cast. So if you want to check that out, head over to patreon.com slash head games podcast games, of course, spelled G-A-M-S. So I, I think that's about it as far as my intro stuff, which means it's time to get into our topic. As we mentioned, the topic this week is going to be burnout. I think I have some controversial opinions on burnout, Jonathan, mm. and, and I think they're going to come up as we move through this episode. And this might be the first time where you really have to reel me in, yell at me, <laughs> tell me that my way of thinking about burnout is unhealthy because it doesn't seem to match up with the way a lot of other people approach burnout. Uh, we'll get into all that, though. Why don't we start, as we always do, with just a broad discussion about burnout. Define it for us. Let us know what we mean exactly when we're discussing burnout. Yeah, so I was just looking how other people defined it. I think the the best definition I came across, and it more succinctly says this than any way I could, is it's physical or mental collapse due to overwork or stress. Collapse is a really poignant word. And yeah. I think my experiences with burnout, they felt like collapse. So I'm on board with this definition. Good find there. Yeah. I, I find like the way I visualize burnout are those weeks where you get done on Friday and then you get home with all of these amazing plans in mind and your body says, nope. And you just like face first into the couch and you're done. Yeah, a another manifestation I could think of was there was often times when I was walking to the subway for my job in New York City, and I would find myself thinking, how bad could I like twist my ankle where it's not going to do permanent damage to me, but I could still successfully call into work right now? <laughs> I mean, that's a real like collapsy method of thinking where I'm saying, how can I injure myself so I don't have to continue doing this task that I'm so burnt out from? Right. Uh, but that's been, you know, my manifestation of collapse. Yeah. Give me a reason to to force myself to recover. Yeah, e exactly. 
So I'm assuming something like this is probably a pretty good indicator of burnout when you're you're thinking this way or you're like, how can I do anything to avoid this task? Or you're losing interest in other tasks you thought you wanted to do. Why don't we talk a bit about signs of burnout? You know, how do we realize we're experiencing burnout? Yeah, there's a lot. And it's interesting because I think burnout's one of those things that even when we recognize that we're coming home on Friday and just crashing or like every day after work or after whatever it is you do, you're just crashing. Like even in those moments, I feel like we assume that that's normal and that we're not burned out. There's this concept I like to think of about stuff like burnout uh, that relates to like car maintenance. So have you ever had a taillight out in your car? Sure. And when you did... Did you notice on your own or did someone else point it out to you? I was pulled over and told I had a taillight out. That's (laughs) that's the one instance I can think of having a taillight out. Yeah. So it's like we have these blinders to it. And when our taillight goes out in our car, I mean, it's pretty hard for us to realize it because we're always driving our car when it's on. And I think things like burnout, when we're experiencing them, a lot of the time, it's not something that we can easily realize in the moment that sometimes somebody else like pulls us over and points out all of the things that are are off with how we're acting. Hmm. One of the things I would note too, and I think this applies to both work and competition, is that there's kind of this hmm, almost romanticizing of burnout. Yeah. Like this this idea that it's somehow noble or heroic to work yourself to the bone, to give everything you possibly can to your task. And, you know, with the absence of self-care, just complete dedication to this singular thing, be it competition or work, Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people around me who they really seem to, martyrdom is a harsh word because I, I think it is not born out of a desire to necessarily like exalt themselves, but they've really tied their own self-worth to how hard they're willing to work in pursuit of a task. Yeah. And that seems really damaging to me and really scary sometimes. Yeah. I wonder, like, obviously we're both coming from a Western perspective and I I don't know if this is exclusive to our part of the world, but yeah, it is this, this belief of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I, I feel like a lot of corporate structures reward you putting hours. Like anytime I think of this concept, I honestly think of your your previous life as a lawyer. Like as you should. As yeah. You should. <laughs> like my my vision of it is in particular for new associates is that and, and part of this is informed by one of my best friends, also lawyer in New York City, just like hours after hours after hours. And it like your job in life is to get the work done and there's not really an indication of the hours that that takes, it's just like the job gets done and and everything else is secondary. Yeah, that's a, a very good and accurate assessment of that environment. It's like if I am looking at a potential employer and their motto is work hard, play hard, mm-hmm. I immediately have giant red flags <laughs> surrounding that employer all over the place. Yeah. Little tip to employers. If that's how you're selling yourself at this point, we're on to you. Like We know what this means. You're you're asking us to burn ourselves out in furtherance of this work opportunity. Yeah, because when are you going to have time to play hard? Like Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it just means work hard. And, and the play hard is means like 
uh, maybe you've developed a drinking problem or something right. along those lines, but it, it's not a good method to sell your company anymore. We are on to you. But you're exactly right. I, I have friends who I've seen go through the burnout thing. They're, they become not the same person. They become irritable. Mm-hmm. They become unfocused. You can't have conversations with them. Every single conversation you do successfully have with them reverts back to the task that they're currently working on. And that's how I've recognized burnout in other people. When I'm when it comes to recognizing burnout in myself, uh, it's tougher. It, it really is tougher. And I, I think you're spot on that the, the car analogy is good. We have blinders to our own burnout. There's like so many different signs of burnout. I think there's a lot of different flavors of it. It like really depends on your natural reaction to stress a lot of the time. So some people have trouble sleeping, which you wouldn't expect. You think like a lot of times like, oh, I'm burned out. My body's just going to sleep. But there's actually times or, or some people experience burnout with like increased insomnia. So it's like those times when you're just so, 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 so tired and all you want to do is sleep and your body's like, nah, no, we're not sleeping. We we got other stuff to think about. Yeah, this is this is one I've definitely experienced personally. So I can share a little bit about, you know, kind of what's going on, at least for me when I'm experiencing the symptom is that, yes, I am physically and mentally exhausted, but my task has become so all consuming that I cannot stop thinking about it. Right. It is not possible for me to cease thinking about this task. And again, we are going to go back to my New York City lawyer experience. And again, I, I don't do this to disparage my previous employer. For what it was, it was a, a very positive place to work. And they recognized the confines of the system they were working in. But this is just the reality of being an on-demand provider of legal services to large companies. They need you 24 hours a day and their problems won't wait. But in service of that goal, I noticed that I was having a very difficult time sleeping. And then the worst part, when I did finally fall asleep, all I did was dream about work the entire time. And literally not even exciting things at work, just doing mundane work tasks while I was asleep. And it felt like I was never escaping in those circumstances. Yep. That sounds about right. And even beyond just the sleep aspect, like just chronic fatigue is a sign of extended burnout. So you lack energy, you feel tired, or maybe you're just emotionally drained. Like you feel as if you can't even experience more emotions because there's just nothing left for your body to give. Hollow. That's how I would define it. Yep. That's a great description. And sometimes this leads into the opposite. Like, you are super drained, but that makes you over-experience anxiety, depression, anger. Uh, you mentioned your friend was more irritable. I, like uh, when our body's defenses are lowered, we don't have the ability to regulate our emotion nearly as well. And so sometimes we over-experience that stuff. That's really interesting. So a, a outward symptom is our own inability to deal with our emotions and to regulate them. We basically become creatures of instinct in some ways you're saying yeah part of it goes with just effects of like sleep deprivation which at some point i'd love for us to just talk for a whole episode about sleep because there's all sorts of effects on it but just think of someone who wakes up in the morning with not enough sleep even if that's yourself like we tend to be cranky and when you're burned out you're doing this over an extended amount of time and so those like filtering mechanism for you are just gone. And yeah, it's just extinctual. Like you are quicker to anger, quicker to 
be annoyed. Like, so that's on that like anger side of things, but also you're more likely to get anxious about uncertain information. You're, you're more likely to get really, really sad about any type of loss you experience. Wow. As, as we talk through this, I'm going back through my experiences and just thinking of all the times that basically I just displayed all of these symptoms. Uh, every single thing you're talking about is something I've experienced personally. And uh, I, I guess ultimately, I did recognize that mm-hmm. I was going through these things. What about you? I mean, I, we talk a lot about my experience just because you're the expert here and you often present this information and I respond with it. Can you think of a time in your own life you've experienced this a similar thing? Have you gone through burnout personally? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about it in like competitive endeavors, like and we'll talk later about the level to which you're trying to compete. But I think about most things I do, I try to be very, very good at because it's just who I am. And I don't like not winning. But there have definitely been times where I've gone too hard into what were hobbies and then like made them unfun. And mm-hmm. then on a on a work scale, like, I don't know, these last two weeks for work have been really intense. I've had very long days and I've been pretty actively engaged for all of them. And so I joked at the beginning, like that hopefully I'm not too burned out to do this episode, which I'm not. But like, if we were to compare me today to a lot of other weeks, I'm, I'm way more tired in terms of work than I would be on an average week. And so I'll take care of that this weekend. I'll rejuvenate. But yeah, I experienced this just as much as anybody else. Right. Right. So any other signs of burnout we should be watching out for, uh, looking to identify in ourselves that you can think of? Yeah, just uh, it's like some quick hits on them. Um, if you find yourself getting sick more often than usual, if your appetite changes, and then just, we mentioned it a little bit, but if you are just apathetic or bored, in particular about things that you're not usually, like if you love doing something and then all of a sudden you just don't enjoy it at all, those switches are notable. And it doesn't necessarily mean burnout, but it very well could. So I know this is a topic that we purposely and correctly avoid, but this sounds a lot like depression to me, right? There's a lot of similarities in terms of symptoms and you know, you're talking about apathy, loss of mm-hmm. interest, I mean, lack of sleep. These are all symptoms of depression that you see manifest when you're dealing with that as well. For sure. And especially if they get into the realm of feeling like, helpless. So like helpless and hopelessness tend to come in conjunction. And so if, if your experience is that, like, it seems as if bad things are here to stay and you don't have much influence over them, that would absolutely be something that like, if I was working with somebody on a performance issue, like, and they started experiencing like helplessness and hopelessness, I would give them resources and recommend that they talk to someone else who is clinically trained because it might just be an indicator of burnout, but there are people more qualified than me to see if that's something that's a more serious concern that there's also help for. Right. And I mean, this is just another good time for us to mention. This is an issue where, you know, maybe you think you're experiencing burnout. It's probably worth talking to someone just to talk through your issues, figure out exactly if there's a medical diagnosis that needs to be made. And we are not qualified to do that. Don't rely on us for that. Talk to psychological professionals. It's always a good idea when you're dealing things like this. But we still will continue our discussion of burnout, which is a very different issue from depression, although they have similarities. So that's why it's important to Mm -hmm. identify them properly. But in terms of dealing with just burnout, 
let's talk about some tactics, some things we can do to deal with this issue, which it sounds like we've both faced. And I assume almost everyone listening to this podcast has also faced. I, I mean, how prevalent is burnout? Would you say it's something you see in almost every competitor you assist? Yeah. And I think top competitors and top coaches, top managers, for people whose life it is to compete in a given performance, I think they figure out how to flirt the line of burnout as close as possible. And so if you're trying to compete at the very highest level in anything, you're trying to train and train and train and become the best and hone your skills and do all that. And that's absolutely a recipe for burnout if done too much. And so good coaches figure out what people's limits are and it's their job to try to push those. And if they start noticing these signs of burnout in an athlete, they tone it down and they figure out something else to do with it. But yeah, if you're pushing the envelope in terms of your own limits, we mentioned on previous casts, like part of good practice is figuring out how to like constantly amp the challenge. You can do that to a point where it starts becoming a detriment and then you start experiencing all those things we've been talking about. It's fascinating how often the things we talk about here correlate to the pinnacle of performance and how much they affect high performers. Because when you're a top performer, you're asking your body, yourself for so much more, right? Like you're, you're just demanding this level of performance, which is trying. And these type of issues, burnout, fatigue, a million other things are what come hand in hand with demanding the most the highest level performance. And it's like, again, going back to a top New York City law firm, it's not that they do this out of cruelty or anger at their associates. That's not why they work you so mm -hmm. hard. It is because they are the best in the world. They provide better service than anyone else. And in furtherance of that goal, they often do damage to people who are working for them. And, and it's very much the same in the competitive environment. In furtherance of our endeavors, we can certainly do damage to ourselves. Right. Because if you are a team or an individual competitor and you take your foot off the gas too much, there's someone out there who isn't. And so it's this constant juggling act of how do I push myself to a level that's facilitative, but then know when I'm supposed to pump the brakes a little bit and recover and figuring out what everyone else is doing and trying to just squeak out the competition. But if you get to the point where there is burnout and you push yourself too hard, then you might be spending a bunch of time trying to get back to normal. So it's this weird act of just figuring out like how much can I push myself without going too far? All right. Well, thankfully I do a podcast with the best performance coach in the world who is now <laughs> going to give me the finest tips for both analyzing and dealing with burnout. I'm so blessed like that. I don't know what I did to be so lucky, but I get to address these problems right now. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm pretty blessed too. <laughs> um, I, ha I have a very concrete way to assess stressors that I want to get to before we're done. But part of a conversation that I think is worth jumping into, and I feel like it might get at your own contentions with burnout, is people's own assessment of like what the place that pursuit has in their life. Mm. So if you are trying to compete in something and you are getting burned out on it, it is significantly different if that competition is your livelihood 
versus I think a lot of us have pushed fun competitions to the point of burnout when they are supposed to be fun and hobby-ish. Yeah, I I mean, this is the time where I'm going to give my spiel because yes, this is exactly- Go for it. This is my issue with burnout. I'm not downplaying the existence of burnout. As I just shared, I've experienced it myself, but it was in a work context. It was in the context of something I had to do to support myself, support my family, advance my career, something that felt inescapable at the time. And even that proved not to be true, by the way, but it felt that way at the time. So I often get asked this question in the context of Magic the Gathering. As we all know, I Mm. host another podcast. We take questions from our listeners on that podcast all the time I am asked about burnout. It may be the most popular question I get. How do I deal with burnout? What do I do if I'm feeling burnt out? What if I just don't have the desire to play? And my answer to these people is exactly the same every single time. And it's also how I would answer this question for myself. And that is stop playing. This doesn't, this doesn't <laughs> seem hard to me. You, you do not play magic for a living or you're, you know, you're not a professional basketball player, assuming it, if you're listening to the show, I mean, maybe we have some professional basketball players listening to it. <laughs> you're, you're not a professional at these other competitions. And if you are feeling in that moment, you've recognized your burnout, which we already established is a very difficult thing to do. It's very hard to look at yourself and say, man, I'm just burnt out on this. So you've now done that difficult step. You've recognized your burnout. Why are you still pushing at this point? If you're unhappy doing the thing that you're doing, why are you trying to drive through that? It again feels like smashing up against a brick wall until the result changes. All you're going to do by ramming yourself into a brick wall is leave yourself battered and bruised. It's not going to accomplish anything. You need to step away, analyze your relationship with the game, the pursuit you're taking on. And then if you find it fits back into your life, you can pursue it then. And I, I've had exactly this experience with Magic the Gathering. I've, I've played on a professional level and I fell off the pro tour and I got it in my head that I had to do absolutely everything possible to get back. And I started playing just tons of Magic all the time, driving to tournaments, flying to tournaments, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day on ideas just to get back to the highest level of the game. And I wore myself out. And I had to stop and ask myself, why am I doing this? Why am I telling myself I need to get back to this thing so badly when I know I'm not going to rely on it for income because you cannot rely on Magic the Gathering for income. It's a ridiculous thing to do. And it really was secondary in my life. It was behind a bunch of other priorities I had. And yet I was still forcing myself to do this task over and over. You have to be more honest with yourself and, and what your pursuits are in furtherance of. I had to realize that Magic the Gathering was a thing I did for fun. Did I want to be the best at it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I still want to be the best at it. But when there's times where it's negatively affecting your health, your stress, your performance, and other aspects of your life, you really have to take stock of that and just be like, okay, I'm burnt out on this. It's time to step away. I mean, am I crazy for for thinking this way? I, I don't know. I've always approached leisure activities more like this. And in the moment, I can lose myself. Like I said, I reached a point of burnout. But thankfully, at that moment, I was like, well, I'm stopping. I'm stopping this now. I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, I've definitely had similar experiences. Like even so magic as an example, I started playing competitively again last year. And 
for those that don't know, like if you win or like play enough, you earn buys and buys are super useful because you get to like get two free wins and start late. So like the cutoff hits at a certain point. So May, I went to a premier tournament every single weekend in the month of May with a bunch of friends and it was super fun and traveling with friends to play games you enjoy is super fun. But oh man, was I fried after May was done. And like June, I don't know if I played a single competitive event. And I've had this experience in other things, like uh, like f- a funny example. So I've played a ton of uh, massive multiplayer online games before, including World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft recently had an expansion come out. And back in the day when I was in college, when the game first came out and I had infinite hours to spend my time, like I did the whole structured raiding thing and was a raid leader and was pushing for server and world firsts. Jonathan Carter today in 2018 has like a lot of other things going on in life. And have I been enjoying the game, this new expansion, like passively and when I have time? Absolutely. Do I have the ability to schedule hours of my night? No. And like these last two weeks of work I mentioned were were pretty uh, mentally exhaustive. I did not come home and then play hours of games because it just, it's not a priority. And it would be silly for me to think, well, it's silly now because I like recognize this in me, but like I know that I can't be at that same level because I just don't have the hours to commit to it. And I think you're right. It's about taking stock of where does this event rank in my life? And part of it is thinking about what are you passionate about? Like, is this competition, this work event, this hobby, something you enjoy? And are you enjoying it just because it's fun? Or is this something that you're trying to be the best at and like finding the balance between those two? Right. And you you mentioned the word passion. I think true passion does a good job at staving off a lot of burnout. It's not impervious. You can certainly burn out on your passion, but true, honest passion means you can do a lot. You can invest a lot of hours, not get bored. You can have a lot of failures and setbacks and still want to push through them. I think that while people struggle to assess an endeavor's place in their life appropriately, they also sometimes struggle to assess their passions appropriately. And a lot of times we don't know our passions. And so we assign something by default, I think. You know, there's nothing else I like as much as this thing. So this must be my passion. Mm-hmm. I don't think passion works that way. Yeah. I, I mean, your your favorite thing is not necessarily your passion. And that's hard to hear sometimes because I think everyone wants a passion. They want something to devote themselves to and you know they tie in with part of their identity. But it, sometimes it takes a long time to find that. And even if you don't think you're not convinced you've found that your passion as it stands right now, your quest isn't over. You're still on this earth experiencing new things, hopefully. There, there's still time for you to find the thing that defines you. But you are doing yourself harm by forcing things to be your passion. Is that making sense? Like, am I being clear about what I'm expressing? Yeah. Like, a couple things come to mind. Like, coming out of high school, I did this, like, partway through the day for one of the years I went and got – I was taking Cisco networking. So, coming out of high school, I was, like, Cisco certified in networking. I loved computers. I've been taking them apart since I was, like, five with with my dad because he was a techie, too. And so – I played tons of games on my computer. I knew all about them. I was 
very skilled and I could have just left high school and gone straight into that. It was easy. I enjoyed them. So I could have thought, Hey, this is my passion. This is what I want to do for life. And I thought about it and, you know, props to like 17, 18 year old me just realizing that if I spent my life working on computers for a day job, that there was a chance I would learn to hate them. And I audibled because I took a psych class in my senior year of high school and I went into psychology because I like people and I think it's fascinating how the brain works. And here I am having this as a passion and I still get to like be good at computers and play them on the side, but it's not like a requirement for my daily life. So I don't feel burned out by them. Good on you for at that age, having the maturity to kind of assess these things. And yeah, I lucked into that. Yeah, <laughs> at, at some point, I'm sure we'll maybe get to like education and, and those type of topics. But man, is it hard for a 17 or 18 year old to identify their passion and to know what they want to devote their lives to. Yet we ask it of every single 17, 18 year old. Oh, it's insane. And I mean, thinking back to my own experience at that age, just so many mistakes, you know, so little about who you are. Right. But pick a major, right. like what are you going to do for right. a living? Such <laughs> a crazy thing to do. I mean, I started law school at, I think I was 28 when I started. So certainly much older than a lot of other people in my class. I wasn't the oldest person in my class. There were 100% older students than me. And you know, when I graduated law school at 31 and started at my firm, I was, I think, the second oldest person in my incoming associate class at the firm. So definitely on the older end of things. But mm -hmm. I did that. And, and now I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I'm not sure I'll ever practice law again. And that was something I thought I found as a passion later in life. So we still search for these things. And, and right mm -hmm. now, honestly, making content, making podcasts, talking about these type of things feels like my passion. Will it be forever? Maybe not. I mean, maybe that's the thing is we expect passions to be forever. And you can right. be very passionate about something in the moment and still leave yourself open for change and, and evolution as a person to say, okay, maybe it's just a is not my passion anymore. Maybe I'm a different person than I was five years ago. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I always want to be a different person than I was five years ago. And this is part of why uh, I think it was our motivation episode. Part of the like, quote unquote, homework I gave was I wanted our listeners to think about what is it that drives you on a daily basis? Because while how we express our values changes, like, and we're using passion as that expression right. in this conversation, like while our, our values absolutely can change over time, it happens a lot slower. And so for me, like we were even talking before this cast, like I mentioned, I, I worked a bunch and you were like, well, now we're going to have to do a cast and we're just adding to that. And I hope that's fine. I'm like, no, like I enjoy having these conversations every week and providing content for our listeners. And so I think part of why I'm able to do that even when I'm tired is because some of the things that I deeply value and how I, I see the world is I like being authentic. I like having like a playful, humorous approach to life. And for me, seeing other people excel or like providing people tools to excel in whatever it is that they're passionate about is really motivating for me. And so this cast currently is one of the ways that I do that every week. And so even when I'm tired, that whole adage of like, if you, it's like, work, find something you love, you like never work a day in your life or right. whatever. If you find those things, like that's where it's a lot harder to get burned out. 
Right, right. And and I think, you know, honestly, my experience is similar that one of my core values is making the experience of life, this thing we all go through, better for the people around me. I want to add something to their days, be it teaching or, you know, some humorous interaction, j- just some way of making them enjoy themselves a little bit more. And one of the methods I saw doing that so as a way to do that professionally was being a lawyer. I thought about making people's lives better, making their experience better. A lot of lawyering doesn't always line up with that, unfortunately. Sometimes it does. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say there's not good to be done. And I felt like I did a lot of good when I was working you know, on behalf of underprivileged clients. It, there were times when absolutely I felt like I had that effect on people's days. This feels like a more di- direct method of accessing that part of my personality, that goal to mm-hmm. improve people's lives. So right now I'm passionate about this, but maybe in the future, something else will come up where I feel like I can live that core value even more strongly. And, and this is all a very long-winded way of saying you really have to know yourself for all of these things. To be a great competitor, I think the best tool you can have is just knowledge of yourself. Take time to reflect on yourself, to think about yourself, to think about your priorities and goals. And it pays dividends in all of these micro topics we're talking about. Yeah. So I think take a look at whatever it is you're doing and figure out, are you doing it because it's fun, because it's a hobby, it's something you enjoy or, and like these things can overlap, but we'll, we'll make two categories. Or is it something that you are trying to be the very best at like this is your competition like you mentioned magic as an example if you are a person whose sole endeavor in life is to compete at magic and like you're able to do that during the day you don't have other priorities or like legal legends or you're an athlete or like whatever it is those are the two categories we're going to talk so if you're doing it for fun part of what you need to do is accept that wherever your current level is granted you can likely improve a bit, but you're going to be gated by resources or time or like skill. Like I know, and I, I think I mentioned on the first cast, I'm like decidedly average at League of Legends and I will play it from time to time with friends. And I accept that if I want to get any better, I'm going to need to deliberately put in hours, but where I am right now, it's not a priority. And so I don't have any illusions of grandeur that I'm going to suddenly show up on the NALCS stage at the start of next season right. because it's something I do for fun. And on the other end, like if you are doing something and you are trying to be the very best and you have the time and you have the resources, then yeah, put in the hours and check out our podcast on delivered practice. Cause it'll tell you how to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but like at the end of the day, Yes, you find out it's fun, go do it, do it for fun and recognize that like if it starts feeling like work or you're burning yourself out, just take a break, like Brian said. Now, if you're trying to compete and you're burned out because of your results, I think that's another thing entirely. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Um, So you're in a situation where you are determined to be the best. You have made whatever you're endeavoring to do your life goal and Uh, Let's go back to League of Legends. You've now made it to where you're playing at high master, low challenger, and your goal is to make it to be an LCS player. And you just feel like you don't have the ability to grind anymore, to work any harder. You feel like you've reached your wits end with League of Legends and you need some time away. How do you address that when it's in direct conflict with what you have stated as your goal? 
Yeah, I think part of it is are you burned out because you're just simply playing too much or are you burned out because of how you're interpreting your results? So like, let's say you're, you're hitting a slump in solo queue or you see your ELO drop or you tried to get on teams or like academy teams and that didn't happen. I would say shift your attention to where you're putting your effort. And if you see that you are putting in the right effort, you're practicing the right things, you're reinforcing it. So becoming a lot more process focused, like sometimes even that mental shift. And I know it's easy to say like, don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the results. They'll come, yada, yada, yada. But it's true. Yes. Like if if you're putting your effort into winning or losing, you're rolling the dice sometimes. Whereas if you're thinking about like, what am I doing every day to reach this goal? Like sometimes that just rejuvenates us by like breaking it down into like micro goals. Yeah. I I mean, that's just super valuable advice. You have to learn to stop being results oriented and most things you do. There are times to check in with your results. You know, we've talked about the carrot and analyzing your performance and, and seeing where you're growing. That that does matter in instances, but ultimately where you make the right decisions, where you're putting in the right kind of work, you have to be able to step away from your results and prevent those from contributing to your burnout. And it's hard. Like, it is. It's, it's really difficult for sure. Yeah. And it sucks in the short term, but long term promise it'll work better. Yeah. I'm with you there. It was a huge part of my growth as a poker player. And, you know, my poker experience was also when I was very, very young, immature, reckless, wild, a million other crappy adjectives you want to assign to me. They all fit when I was becoming a poker player. And, you know, me at my most volatile had to work through a lot of these things, the anger about losing when I deserve to win. All of these things were things I had to come to terms with. And in some ways, it was good that I had to face all of these things head on at such a young kind of impressionable age because it did a lot to shape my approach to other competitive endeavors when I approached them down the line. You know, when I got into magic, I had the poker background to fall back on and I was more comfortable just not worrying about my results, trusting in the process and, and getting those kind of feedback mechanisms as opposed to did I win or did I lose? So something in general people can do is just take a look at their week and see where their hours are going. And I think this is like an easy assessment of when I'm saying that if you are thinking that your goal or where you can get to in something is a, like a certain level, take stock of if it's actually even just numerically possible. Like if you work eight, nine hours a day, you commute each day, I imagine you eat meals, you probably should be sleeping and there's likely other stuff you do in life. Draw that all out on like a a 24-hour calendar for a week and see how many hours you have left and realize that if you have the amount of hours it needs, you need to get great at something cool. Start practicing in those hours, be efficient with your practice, all that good stuff. More likely, and I've done this and it's it's really eye-opening to see that you probably schedule more hours than there are actually hours in the week. Hmm. (laughs) And that makes it pretty hard to do anything. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. I, I, I faced this problem kind of head on. There was a stretch of pro tours I actually played when I was in the midst of being a New York City lawyer. They are also, for whatever reason, my best stretch of magic performances of my life. I have no idea how this worked because there was no time in my day. Like My practice sessions were 
limited to practicing against myself on the subway because I would bring my laptop with me to work and play games against myself and then collapsing and falling asleep when I got home because there was just no more time in the day. And I, I still look back at it and I'm very confused at why things went as well as they did. But my approach to those tournaments was such that it's nice that this worked out, but it's not realistic to put this kind of pressure on me. There's just not enough hours in the day and I'll do what I can and hope for the best. And and the best was good, but in a lot of ways, I'm sure it was very fortunate at the same time, just not having enough hours in the day. I was I was realistically assessing what I could do. And that probably prevented me from burning out on the entire preparation thing because I didn't force myself to be like, well, you're not sleeping tonight. You just have to test this matchup because you have a pro tour coming up. I just put realistic expectations on what I could accomplish given hours in the day. And it really helped as far as prioritizing my time and being comfortable with whatever result I ultimately achieved. Yeah. It's really interesting. That's how you phrase it. The whole prioritization of time, because so even beyond performance, I think something that everyone can do to kind of gets at managing stressors, but taking stock of all of the things in life that either are commitments or are things that stress you out, like how we deal with them ultimately decides whether or not we have burnout. And so an activity that you can try doing is just make an exhaustive list of all the things in your day to day that either are a priority, are something that stress you out, just things that require energy. Make this list and for every single item on the list, decide if it's important or unimportant and then decide if you can control it or not control it. And in control, do you realistically have influence? So if I get stressed out that it's been super rainy in DC for the last however long, that's fine. Maybe I do place high importance on that for some reason, but ultimately I can't control the weather. And so that would be uncontrollable. And just make these evaluations for every single item on your list. Like, is it important? Is it unimportant? Additionally, can I control it or can I not? And do that for every single item. And it'll it'll divide these stressors, these energy suckers, these priorities into four categories. So one will be the stuff that's important and also controllable, or you have some amount of influence over it. And that stuff, as you might imagine, is where you should start putting your energy or like, because you can do stuff about it and you're saying it's important. So act on it, get that stuff done. You also have stuff that you're saying is important, but you don't have any control over it. And a lot of times, like I can think recently in the last couple of years, I've had family difficulties or sicknesses in the family and they're absolutely important. But at a certain point, you can't change whether or not someone you love is sick. So you have to think about like, what are the aspects I can control? Right. Change your perception about about those stressors. And that doesn't get them out of the way, but it like it stops you from putting in more energy than they require, if that makes sense. No, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the unimportant stuff that you can control and the unimportant stuff that you can't control. And those two categories can really just take it or leave it at the end of the day and think about like which of these things are just hassles that I can get rid of or not care about what are the other things that I can reclassify or just like think about where they fit in my life. And so at the end of the day, if you have just 
oodles of energy sitting around and you're you're wishing you had somewhere else to put it throw it at the unimportant stuff if you really want to or just you know figure out one of those passions and and throw the energy there man i love when you come at us with a very concrete exercise that we can do to you know really redefine the way we're approaching the world this is a simple thing like what you're talking about the process of doing this in some ways we probably all do it throughout our day subconsciously. We're always Mm -hmm. ranking priorities and deciding where we want to focus our energy, but actually taking the time to acknowledge these things, to sit down, to map them out, and to have a hierarchy of you know the task you're going to do throughout your day ranked in front of you to say, look, this is not something I can spend my time on right now. I either don't have control over it, or actually it's not that important to me. Having that in your tool belt will free up so much mental energy and space and, and really do a great job of making sure your attention is focused in the right spot. And if you're focusing your attention in the right spot, how much easier is it to prevent burnout? I mean, you're doing what you have to do. You have properly assigned your intentions and you're not going overboard on any one thing. And you're also creating some freedom for yourself. I mean, Mm -hmm. freedom to fail is worth a lot. And I feel like a lot of people often don't feel like they have that. And, you know, in some instances, that's true. I've, I've mentioned before growing up, there wasn't a large financial safety net behind me. And I often felt like I couldn't take risks. I couldn't take chances. I, I had to be afraid to fail because it meant, well, am I eating next week if I fail at this thing? Mm-hmm. Can I really take this risk? And I respect that. I don't try and diminish that experience. For some people, that's a very real thing that will always have influence over your life. And it, it's very hard to take those chances. But there's other aspects of your life where you can afford to take chances and you can be okay at failing. And your competition can be one of them. If you're not relying on your competition to pay your bills, to eat, to do a a host of other things, it's okay sometimes to not be able to put in the amount of energy that true success would require and give yourself a pass on it. If you're being honest, you know, a lot of this flies against a lot of other assessments we've made, how you have to work to always be improving and, and you have to properly analyze results and take something away from it. That's all still true, mm-hmm. but it requires a lot of self-honesty, right? You, you shouldn't use this as a cop-out, but if you're being honest with yourself, I, I think it's beneficial to give yourself room to not always succeed. Yeah. If you do all, all this and you take stock of what you're doing and you realize that you have some things in life that you do want to be the best at, or you just really want to be successful or you want to be better than you are now. Absolutely. We are not saying don't compete. Uh, that That's far from the message, but it's, it's more about if there are things that you are putting a ton of energy in and you're finding them to be a drain more than a benefit. Well, maybe just reassess where their place is in life or maybe pump the brakes a little bit. And it doesn't even mean forever. Sometimes just taking a break from stuff or, Maybe you just need to do some other self-care things on the side. I've mentioned meditation before. Maybe take a look at how you're eating, take a look at your exercise, take a look at your sleep, just self-care in general. Sometimes that's enough to even just give us a little boost we need. But overall, just think about like, where do you want to put your energy? Where is it important to put your energy and give yourself a break on the other stuff? Yeah, spot on. I think that's going to wrap up our discussion on the topic of burnout. I feel like we have some really great concrete solutions that we can employ. I like that you mentioned self-care. 
And you know what? We're going to do a poll topic for next week's episode. And I think there'll be some self-care type stuff on there. I know you mentioned wanting to talk about sleep. Let's get that on there as an option for the poll question, talking about you know general sleep, nutrition type issues. That can definitely be one of the options along with, I think I'm going to bring back a couple losers from past polls and give them another chance to shine. We'll see who was close in past polls and okay. let our listeners take a vote and, and maybe yeah, like get one of those topics into the sunshine this time. Cool. Awesome. So thank you everyone for joining us and we'll be back next week to play some more head games. Head games.